and welcome back to ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And we do continue to encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee, and we begin part one of our new series, A Heart of RDI, What is Mindful Guiding for Parents? Today, we begin the conversation with Dr. Gutstein, defining mind guiding and mindful guiding. We do not believe that we can, that we're in the business of establishing what we would refer to as sort of a natural, intuitive guiding relationship. If, if that's already occurring, then we have no reason to be doing what we're doing. So what we want to think of is that we are establishing what we refer to as a mindful guiding relationship. Now, let me, let me even preface that a little bit. I use that word intuitive. Mindful guiding is still an intuitive process. It's not an analytical process where you refer to charts and graphs and sequences and procedures. I, I'd rather say it's mindful versus purely unconscious or go with the flow. That's not what we're doing. On the other hand, we, we don't want people to feel uptight and you know, it's not manualized in the sense of a procedure. First do this, 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 and this. Right? So there's a great deal of intuitive judgment that must go into a mindful process, but we're consciously aware that we're doing it. I think that's the key of being mindful. Okay? So we want to establish this mindful guiding relationship where the guide is, is mindfully functioning, and the apprentice is functioning in a way that indicates that they are motivated to assume their role, right? that they are providing what I've referred to as the thrust or the engine of this shared process that along with the guidance system allows the rocket to launch and get to its destination, right? So the apprentice doesn't have to have all, all the skills in place for us to proceed to what we think of as, as dynamic intelligence or the use of the guiding relationship, but they have to have developed that excitement, that desire for learning, the desire for learning through and with others, um, that initiation of exploration, that, um, that valuation of discovery, Right, that that really um, represents what being an apprentice is all about. They have to experience that. That has to become part of their identity. That has to be internalized. They could be missing all kinds of things that have to be you know, continually developed and built through a guiding relationship. Um, and I think if we can keep those two issues in mind, how do we develop a guiding relationship? And how do we then use it? I think it helps us from you know, our, us as beginners and us as, as um, veterans to do our jobs much, much better. So we think about that. And then we think about the next step. I want to talk about mind, uh, mindful guiding and then um, mind guiding, which is um, what starts to happen naturally, even towards the end of the first year of life in typical development, where if you're guiding a child, as a parental figure or ongoing in an ongoing relationship without even realizing it, you will begin to interject mindful terms, terms about thoughts and feelings and um, internal states into your communication 
with that child, you'll be elaborating even before they, you know, they might really understand those things. And you'll become, uh, you know, unconsciously become more aware that your primary role is to develop their mind. Now you might not know that consciously, but through your actions as a guide, especially during the course of the second year and onward, that becomes quite evident when we observe this in its natural form. So another criteria here is the, um, you know, the, the, the sense that we are, you know, we are ready, or parents are ready, or guides are ready, or you are ready to consider inserting or becoming a mind guide, right? that that has some value. And again, it doesn't mean the child has to have a huge amount of language, doesn't mean you have to be ready for conversations yet, but it means that that makes some sense in observing what's going on between the guide and the apprentice or the student. So those become very, very critical terms. Yeah. So I think the, if we can keep in mind that development of that guiding relationship, feeling like secure that that's in place, which doesn't mean everything's perfect, that that's going to be important. And what I mean by that is I don't, we don't really need to see the child as 100% compliant. Uh, look at any typically developing two-year-old who is very much in a guiding relationship, and you'll see that a great percentage of time they may be trying to control things, they may be, um, you know, oppositional, um, right? And, and, and so we don't want to communicate somehow that somehow, the, you know, the guiding relationship is only formed when you have this perfectly compliant passive, whatever, perfect apprentice. I think that's very unrealistic. And I think especially for, for many of the children that we work with who have been extremely passive, not too much of them have already been oppositional, they've been very passive, they're often going to go through a stage like a typically developing two-year-old where you're going to see somewhat of that controlling oppositional action. But it's not going to be 100% of the time. You're also going to have many opportunities where you're providing guidance to that child who wants to initiate. And, and I think that's the other piece of it. When you start to see parents who, the parents are still worrying, what activity should I do with my child? Or how do I keep them motivated? Or how do I keep them engaged with me and not running off? We don't yet have a guiding relationship in the life. We don't. As opposed to, sometimes when I'm guiding, my child wants to take over, or sometimes they control, sometimes they're oppositional about it. That's different. But when we have a guiding relationship in place, it's intrinsically powerful for that child to want to remain engaged. It may be engaged sometimes in arguing, but engaged with their guide and provide that guide with many opportunities throughout the day, right, for influencing, for sometimes, for often limiting their um, actions in terms of discovery and trying out things that may be too difficult for them, as well as providing a little bit of challenge or elaboration or support for what they are trying to do. You see that energy coming, all right, so you see the mindfulness coming from parent, you see the energy coming from that child, the energy to engage with you, also the energy to be autonomous. Autonomous doesn't mean disengaging and walking away from you. It's autonomous through your participation. Now that could be your participation in a more peripheral supportive way, your participation, co-participating with them, or them being peripherally involved with you, having a more minor role in something that's a bit ahead of what they're able to do on their own. 
but you will see that they want to become more autonomous and they also want to maintain that engagement with you. The child should be supplying the effort to stay engaged with you. The child should be supplying the energy to want to develop, to want to increase their competence. Right? The mo that's a motivational thing. Right? That should be internalized. I think that becomes the most important element. And parents should be perceiving their role in a facilitative way. They should be starting to move out of co-participation as the only modality. There should be a balance between that and an increasing emphasis on facilitation, right? Either through um, autonomy support, supportive actions, whether that's emotional support or structuring activity so that it's not too difficult for that child. Those are two ways, or by stepping back, right? Those are ways of what we call autonomy support, as well as balance with providing challenges to that child. They should perceive their role that way and feel comfortable that way and, not, and should not be worried at all at this point about what to do because the child should be, the child and the, and this is a third thing, they should have at this point developed a number of frameworks, activity frameworks, event frameworks that can be, that are being mutually expanded and extended by both parties. They're both finding ways to add interesting things to the activities they're doing Right, and they should have more than enough of those activities. You don't need 50 activities. A parent who's saying, gee, he gets bored so quickly still and he's running out, I don't know what activity to do. That's not a guiding relationship that's formed. That's not an apprentice yet. Because an apprentice is not just some, it's not about I'm doing this to please you or I'm doing this to be compliant. They're operating out of their own energy, their own desire to grow and develop. They, they, can, they are co-participants in this, relationship in, in, in maintaining this and growing this it, using the frameworks that you already have to grow not that you can't introduce new things but there's no there shouldn't be any need i'll give you an example my grandson and myself who's now two and a half almost we do a lot of yard work together we do some woodwork together we play with trains together um you know we have a, a, a finite number of things we do but those things keep growing and they're expanding and he elaborates on them as well as I do. So he'll invent new variations and I will and we, we have to uh, do a lot of compromising and sometimes negotiating on them, <laughs> right? But there's no lack of those things. It's not like I ever have to think, gee, do I need another activity. Now, sometimes I will think of that because for instance, the summer is coming here in Houston and all the things we've done outdoors, <laughs> we can't do. That's no different than you would do with any two-year-old in Houston, Texas, because you wonder, now that I have to do everything indoors, what the hell are we going to do that's going to be interesting, exciting, right? There's a limited number of things, so we have to be a bit creative. That has nothing to do with autism. It has more to do with having a two-year-old in a very hot climate, which you might expect in a very cold climate, you'd have the opposite of that. But in terms of everyday worrying, that worry about activity, um, that should not be at all pressing for that person. If we have a guiding relationship because that, that's really um, that's really telling us that you know both parties are invested in this and they're both moving in the same direction that we're not worried about you know uh, are they going to walk away are they going you know, that anxiety is still is that child going to leave or what do I have to do so the idea of activity when I think of activity with my 
my grandson's not, is he going to walk away from me? It's what can I do that we'll both enjoy that's indoors now. We have to move towards indoors. And, you know, like you would do with any child. But it's not at all that he's going to leave to do something else because what the hell is he going to do? <laughs> you know, his, his ability to do on his own is fairly limited. I'm excited when he does things on his own, right? It's like he's starting to do things on his own that are interesting. Um, and I love it because it gives me a break, you know, it gives me a way to relax. It's that type of feeling that you want to see rather than if there's still that fear that they're going to disengage any moment, hmm. then, then we don't have that guiding relationship in place yet. And thanks for joining us for ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And we encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee. See you next time.